Welcome to the Sportizzle podcast, brought to you by Sportizzle.com, the free-to-register sports social community platform. Today's episode features Sportizzle's very own Formula One community manager, Molly, so let's get started. Hello. Hello. So, Austria, Austria that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I don't know when this whole track limits thing came in, because I certainly don't remember it being such a massive thing in Formula One, not being allowed to kind of go off the track certainly over the white line it seems a bit weird yeah it's kind of it's not a new thing but it's more shown now than it was before there's a lot like tighter rules on it and stuff Hmm. i I think the cards width is now becoming a massive issue they're so like the cars are being made so wide now that they just can't take a corner like how you could i don't know back 2012 it's not as easy to go around anymore Certainly all of the drivers were moaning about it, saying it was almost impossible. Yeah. I think in the interview, Ocon, um, he was talking about, he, w- he would go round and he would ease off to try and stop the penalty. And they wouldn't tell him for a couple of laps that he'd actually got a penalty. So then by that time, he'd got another penalty and then he'd try and ease off again. And it just seemed like a complete farce, to be honest. It was a nightmare. He ended up with 32nd time penalty, finished 14th. Yeah. Crazy. You know, it's... Some people are saying that because of the course is allowed to have like MotoGP and other other kind of formulas, they have to have it that size and they have to have the, the runoff areas and stuff. But, yeah. you know, if the car runs off and goes off the track slightly, they're not going to gain much of an advantage. No. They're just going to kind of go over the curb a bit, aren't they? Yeah. I think it was Total Wolf had said, about bringing back sort of curbs and stuff like that on the track rather than having all of the runoff like areas the track limits and stuff like that Hmm. but I think the issue that you run with that is things like you see at Monza where they go flying over like the sausage curbs and stuff like that it's just it's dangerous Hmm. and I know there's always going to be an aspect of danger in the sport but I don't think it's a track where it's adaptable like that yeah, they would talk about maybe putting like a gravel trap there or something if it's that bigger issue, yeah. which then wouldn't be an issue for like the bikes and stuff if they're going off the track at that point. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do next year um, and some of the other tighter tracks as well. I mean, it's been kept until 2030 now, so there's going to have to come a point where there's a change. I think it'll probably be around 26, about the time of sort of when all the other changes are coming into the sport and they'll have to adapt different tracks to suit. Hmm. So I think the other thing that I wanted to have a quick chat about was the uh, the release of the 2024 schedule. Yeah, that was unexpected. Yeah, I thought it was at least three or four weeks away. I don't think it's ever been this early. No. I certainly don't remember it being this early last year. No, I think they're only what? They had the break, didn't they? So they're only a couple of GPs past the break. So they're, they're what? Yeah. Not even three quarters of the way through the season, so... I've just got it up in front of me here. So we've got Bahrain first GP. Was there was there a big thing about Bahrain and Saudi fighting to be the first one? I think there was at the start of this year. There were sort of rumours going around that it was going to be Saudi that were going to be the starters for next year, and then Australia got involved with it too. It's a battle between the first three races, really. Mm. We weren't sure. What... It was always it was always traditionally Australia that had the first race. Yeah. So it's that kind of area they stay kind of China's back in. Yeah, I hope it does stay on the schedule for next year and it doesn't get cancelled again because it's a really, really interesting race. Mm. I certainly like the the night races. Well, they certainly seem to inject a bit more atmosphere to to proceedings. 
and as we go down the list quite a few kind of north american ones so miami yeah. obviously we've got canada and you've got austin texas uh, but then you've got mexico brazil vegas yeah. so yeah three u.s ones i think the whole point of it is to try to centralize where the grand prix are taking place so they're not traveling as much and they're not going from yeah. racing in europe to one week to america the next and back to europe again it does make sense doesn't it it does and then finishing up with the last two, Qatar and Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Which runs right into December. Is it? Yeah, December the 6th to the 8th. It seems quite a long stretch. Starts February 29th and stretches right the way out to December. Ooh. So you, you only get the rest of December and January before you're then gearing up ready for the start of 2025 season. So yeah. it's quite a full calendar. Definitely. I think there is quite a big break. I want to say it's hungry and like spa and stuff. There's usually a break around that point. I'm not sure if that's followed into this one. I always seem pretty spaced there. I mean, there's a couple of weeks between, obviously, when you're skipping continents. Yeah. So when you're going from kind of China to Miami, there's a reasonable break in between those two. Yeah. But yeah, there doesn't seem to be any big breaks between the rest. Yeah, I think actually the biggest break is from Silverstone to Hungary. And then from Baku to Singapore as well, that seems to be like your sort of two week gaps. Now we're not filling up like a summer, yeah, a summer break of three or four weeks anymore. I think it adds a lot to obviously fans' experience and stuff like that. Like it's very full on, but at the same time, it's a lot for the drivers too. Yeah, the the fitness must be epic, especially some of these courses. Yeah. And then they've got they now got to retain that through the whole of the season. So they're going to be peak fitness literally for the whole of the season. So do you think that might come into they've got to be kind of on it for that length of time? Do you think that will play into more having the reserve drivers being used? I think they'll get used more. I think more for sort of practice sessions where drivers don't feel like they really need to be there. Yeah. As such, like practice one, maybe practice two, they'll go in for three and then qualify them. And they'll be in for them yeah. so they can race on the Sunday. But I think it's, I definitely think there'll be more use of reserve mm. drivers and possibly even other people are shot, sort of like F2, F3 drivers. I think they'll get more chances like throughout, like passing through. So if F, an F2 driver is missing, an F3 driver will fill their space. And it mm. gives them experience for coming up to as well. Like it's given younger people an opportunity. So with that in mind, the younger drivers that have come into this season, so you're talking what Sergeant De Vries, Oscar Piastri, Piastri, that's it. Do you think that would obviously benefit them having more driver time, more kind of time in the cars, practice and stuff? Do you think they needed it? Do you think the golf is too big at the moment for those guys to come in and perform well because they don't all seem to be doing great, do they? Yeah, I think it's a massive, a massive issue at the moment, especially I would say with Logan Sargent, he's okay the Williams isn't the best the cars on the track but Alex Albon can push the car week in week out to finish maybe ninth or tenth mm. at best and I think off the top of my head his best race result Logan Sargent is either 16th or 17th mm. it's just he, he isn't able to push the car as much and he hasn't had enough time to adapt from F2 into F1 because obviously it came right down to the last race for him last year mm. Do you think that's because Alex Albon is almost overperforming? I wouldn't say he's overperforming. I think it's just the difference in mentality 
I think it's sort of he's got this very focused. I mean, he raced for Red Bull at one point. He was in Toro Rosso as well, and I think it's just kind of mm-hmm. carrying the same mindset from that point to coming back in again. And he wants to be back pushing against other cars. He just hasn't mm. got the car to do that. Yeah, but he's he's making a good fist of it, isn't he? He's, yeah. Certainly in qualifying, he seems to be uh, getting into at least Q two or Q three. Who do you think has been the standout so far? Um, take away Max and his runaway performances, but who who's the best of the rest so far, do you think? It's, it's quite a tough one, to be honest, because I think there's drivers who, there's a lot of them who have shown like great potential throughout the season, but have slipped up a couple of times that kind of makes them fall down a bit. I'd say definitely for me, the most sort of standout person that's to do with the car would be Fernando Alonso. I mean, he's, what, 41, 42 years old, racing in the highest level of motorsports, still with the same fitness as he did mm-hmm. years and years ago. Exactly. I'm a bit older than that, but my legs ache when I kick a football. <laughs> so to drive an F1 car is, is quite a feat at his age. I've been driving F1 cars longer than I've been alive. <laughs> um Coming to Silverstone, do you think the majority of teams are all going to bring up Grace to Silverstone? I think they'll try to, yeah. I think the one that I had written down sort of as a, I wonder if they'll do it, is Haas. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin Magnussen's really pushing that car. Yeah. And Nico Hulkenberg as well. Like, especially in qualifying, Nico Hulkenberg seems to really, really be in there. He's in Q3 every other race. It's insane. That car shouldn't be able to be pushed that far, but he manages to do it. And I think if they bring in the right upgrades at the right time, they could be something to fight for, especially midfield-wise. Hmm. They just don't seem to be able to translate it into the race pace, do they? Yeah. And, and certainly kind of the same issue with the Ferraris as well. I remember when we did the uh, podcast last year, I think it was, and we were discussing about Ferrari had built everything up into last year's car being the be-all and end-all, and, and it didn't quite happen. They were up there, but it didn't quite happen as much as they thought they would. Yeah. And then this this season seemed to be, they've kind of stood still. It feels a little bit like they've almost written this season off and they're trying to build up ready for next year's car. You know, there's talk of, of Red Bull already working on their 2024 car now and there's streets ahead of everyone else. Um, and they're already working on a new car, which I don't think Lewis Hamilton liked the idea no. of. But, but certainly it feels like Ferrari are doing that already. And working out for next year, so uh, it's certainly interesting if they if they bring these upgrades to to Silverstone, they will start to then kick on a little bit and get a little bit closer to Red Bull, or whether Red Bull bring upgrades as well and they they run away even more. I don't know. I really don't know. I think it would be good if the likes of sort of Ferrari and Mercedes would bring upgrades because I think those cars like they are something to be fought against. They're not meant to be where they are right now. But I think Red Bull just have it so pinpointed right mm. that it's it's insane. You can't compete against something like that. No. Do you, do you think the penalty they had for the wind tunnel stuff, do you think it made absolutely any difference at all? I don't think so. No, I don't either. <laughs> I think if anything, it's made, them, it's made them work even harder on it, even quicker, and it's just became... Mm. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just incredible what they've managed to produce... And do you think most of that's down to Adrian Newey? I think so. Yeah. He's got a lot to do with that car. That You wouldn't believe the knowledge that guy's got. It's incredible. Uh, I read part of his book, I didn't read it all, just some of the things that people would just take for granted. And he's just the slightest change in a millimetre changes the performance so much. Um, it's just incredible how his mind works. So 
yeah, I think they all want to get an Asian Nui, don't they? Yeah. In their design teams. <laughs> yeah, and then I think he, um, when the, the Red Bull crashed and it was been hoisted in the air, it was Monaco, wasn't it? And they were, they're all taking photos of underneath. Yeah. I think they were talking about, oh, are the majority of the teams then going to copy the air runs underneath and stuff? Um, so it'd be interesting to see if anybody does. Because they were saying that Alonso's car, Aston Martin, was almost last year's Red Bull, didn't they? And yeah. there were so many similarities to the Red Bull that they should be able to match their performance almost. Yeah. Not quite happened that way, but certainly they're much better than everyone expected. Absolutely. So. I think they have a massive chance of winning races this year. If Max can stop. <laughs> yeah. That's very I think true. most people are sitting there thinking, oh, come on, Max, like have one breakdown or like a, an issue at some <laughs> point, just so somebody else can have a go. Yeah. Um, do you think as, as the season progresses, they'll get fed up with Perez and they'll bring in Danny for a bit? I think they might. I know there was a point during the week where Christian Horner said that if anybody thinks about Checo leaving, they're wrong or something along the lines of that. I don't know word for word, but mm. I think it's a slight cover-up. I don't think that's really what he's thinking. Mm. I don't think that Perez has really performed anywhere close to how he did last year. I mean, last year he was fighting and this year he's getting knocked out in Q2. Mm. I don't think there's any love lost at all between Chico and Max, is there? Yeah. Is, is Red Bull Golden Boy, so it's gonna be it's gonna be Chico who's gonna lose out. In the past, I don't think Christian Horner has been particularly patient with his his kind of drivers or second drivers. Um, so I think it's it's kind of all the cards are in place. And with Ricardo going there, most people thought he'd try and get a kind of first first driver slot. Yeah. But maybe he's playing the long game, and this is he could see what was happening, and he's kind of placed himself to then go, oh look, come here, step in. Yeah. And then maybe he can do that. He's got a um a tire test this week, I think. I read that mm. earlier on at Silverstone as well. So I think that's gonna give them a sort of good idea of how his pace. Yeah. Yeah. If he gets to push it, yeah. it'll give them a good idea of what he can do. It was certainly interesting. He's he's a, he's a character I've always liked. Yeah. And always uh, my kind of anti Red Bull, anti Christian Horner stuff shines through, but um <laughs> I was a bit disappointed in Ricardo going there, but you know, if he can, if Chico does lose out and he can step up and start doing well, then then great. Maybe he can take some of those points off of Max. <laughs> I did try and not be so negative about him, but they wind me up. I do quite like Red Bull, to be honest with you. I'm quite like, I notice what they do as just a massive achievement, and it's incredible how much they can get into a car in a year. Mm. I don't particularly like specific people who work for Red Bull from <laughs> the previous comments and interviews but I do I appreciate them as a team sort of in their achievements and stuff like that they are definitely something that people are going to look back and say how on earth did that happen mm. I'd begrudgingly give them credit for, for being successful I'm sure that's it's Adrian Louis. Yeah, I, I think it mostly is. When you look back at the the teams that were successful, they all had kind of a a key um, engineering brain behind them. You had Braun; he was kind of the focus of, of the success of. I think it was Williams at the time, wasn't it? Um, and then you obviously Adrian Newey, and you've got lots of others that are successful as you go back in in the past. Um, do you think it's it's a shame for me because you know being that a little bit older, I've seen. The other teams up at the top there of you know Williams and McLaren, 
you think with the way things are at the moment, Red Bull so far ahead and, and with the amount of money they have and Mercedes, the backing they have, do you think those two teams can ever kind of really push near the top again? I think there'll come a time where the teams at the top now won't be won't be there anymore. Hmm. I think there there comes a point throughout the whole history of motorsport where you see these teams fighting for so long and then their demise happens. Yeah. And everything goes downhill. It's like McLaren, they've not won for years and years at the top now. Mm-hmm. But Mercedes are now on that level where they're, what, two years losing now. You don't know how long it's going to last for. Yeah. But they could always come back. There's never there's never a point where you can say never. No. They're just such a behemoth, aren't they, mm-hmm. Mercedes? You know they're just kind of on your shoulder uh, all the time. They're always pushing. The likelihood is that they are going to come back at some point. Yeah. Same with Ferrari. If they can get it right, they can come back. I think the problem, one of the big problems with Ferrari at the moment is they just keep making so many strange tactical decisions during the race. Their strategies are definitely something to be questioned. Some they really yeah. it needs to be looked into. It needs to be looked at. Because mm. when when they got rid of Matteo Bonotto, everybody thought, Oh, great. That'll fix that. Everything's gonna come back together. And it's fallen apart even more. Yeah. And getting rid of him wasn't the issue. Get he was not the issue. Yeah. You you see the driver frustration when they're, they're physically having arguments with their engineers through the radio why are we not staying out why why are we putting now come in don't come in last yeah. minute calls um it, it just seems to be a bit of a mess oscar piastri that was one i was going to bring up mm-hmm. i think obviously they've worked on lando's car over the past couple of races and i kind of feel bad for oscar in that sense like it's kind of everything's been pushed on to lando right now and it's like it's almost mclaren's golden boys getting everything and piastri's been shoved to the side for a bit I wonder if they'll bring in his upgrades this weekend or if they'll be split across a few races it isn't always the case that the the number one driver gets the the upgrades and the improvements first it usually is but I think just the fact it's been pushed out over a couple of races kind of you've seen it work once and then you see it get better and Mm. it makes it's now making Piastri look worse than he actually is I appreciate him as a driver, I really do, because I think what he's done this year compared to Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries, like he's came in without having a seat for a year and came in and he's actually got points. Is that because of his car, though? I still don't think the McLaren's that good. It's better than the Williams, though, isn't it? It is better than the Williams, yeah. But then Nick DeVries, he's sort of, Sunil does push in and whatnot, and it's just, he just can't seem to keep it at the same level. Hmm. I I don't think... um... To know to can keep it on the track at all. I don't think he can after time. <laughs> so he's not really got a lot of competition, has he? So he's certainly um I'm looking forward to the, the next series of the the Netflix yeah. Drive to Survive or Yeah. It's certainly gonna be interesting some of the, the races and some of the behind the scenes stuff that's happened so far. And I remember watching it before and, and they kept talking about Sonoda and him coming off and crashing and, and it just seems to carried on and Lance Stroll as well I think he's he's had a few issues yeah um certainly the way other drivers perceive the way he drives so I think he's improved this year though I think he has yeah Yeah. again is it because the car's a lot better yeah that's kind of swings around but is he a better driver he's still getting into silly positions where he's blocking drivers and things like that or having silly crashes but difficult he's always going to be fighting against that view that he's only there because of his dad's money yeah 
So it must be a massive chip on his shoulder and, and something he's got to fight against every single day. But yeah, I, I suppose we'll see as the season carries on whether he can kind of keep going and keep kind of keeping up with Alonso and, and putting in performances. I don't know. Get to the end of the season, he won't. He's always going to continue because his dad's got the money. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a. But then I, I suppose other drivers. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but other drivers do bring in cash for teams and they're only got seats because they're paid for those seats with sponsorship money or, or investment. So I suppose it always happens. It's just a lot more prominent because yeah. he's got so much money. Um, so next we've got quite a few European Grand Prix. Yeah. Obviously Hungary, Belgium, Netherlands, Italy. It's supposed to be obviously the summer period, July, August and stuff, but there always seems to be a fair amount of rain around. Do you think that's going to have an impact? I think it will. There's specific drivers who drive really good in the wet, and it shows. Mm. It shows because they keep themselves calm mm. and composed, and everything's just, it looks like it's dry. Mm. It looks the exact same, but there's other drivers who really struggle with it. So I think one of the things I saw today as well was the they're talking about putting in, I can't remember what they call it, I'm going to call them mud flaps. But yeah. on on the rear wheels, so that when it's wet, it keeps the spray down. I can't see how that's going to work because they're talking about you know they'd be reasonably easy to fit for when it's a, a wet race. But what about most of the races where it's a bit wet? They're on intermediates. Yeah. At some point, they change to, to kind of full slicks, but they've still got these these bits on. How is that going to interact with the kind of aerodynamics and and all that sort of stuff? So no. Uh, I'm not sure how well thought through it is. What do you think? I wouldn't work. It's not practical. <laughs> it's, it's not. No. So you, you go, I think the example is one of the races earlier, was it Monaco? That part of it was wet. So they're all on full wet. So they would have had the, the mud guards on, uh, rain yeah. guards, whatever they call them. And then the track dried out. So they all went to intermediates. Some of them went to slicks. Do they, do they take them off at that point? Because they're then going to go into slicks. They leave them on because there might be a chance of rain later in the race. So it's just yeah, it's just an odd That's odd scary. thing. Are they what? They're just like clip-ons. They're going to stand up to like G-force and stuff if they're just like a little couple of little clips that just keep them there. So just weird. That'd be really strange. Weird idea. Definitely. I don't know how they'd make that work. Hmm. I'm trying to like picture how this would work. It just doesn't look right. No. And you see the pictures of the, the drivers trying to drive in the wet and it's it's almost impossible to see anything at all. So, you know, I can see the thinking behind it, but practically I can't see how it will work. It, it reduces the, the angle of the spray. So instead of being that, it's kind of down to that. So, yeah, you'll be able to see, but you're still right up the backside of the car in front. So you're still not going to be able to see much because you're still going to be in the spray. Yeah, It's another weird idea that somebody's had. Unless they just fit them all year round and they all have to have them all the time. So even in the dry and then they benefit when it's wet. But that's the only way I can see it happening. They have to have it on the car. Yeah. Then they'll they'll kind of feed it into their aerodynamic stuff and they'll be able to make it work properly. But other than that, I can't see how it's going to work at all. No. Yeah. I was just looking at the, the tracks again. So you've got a nice little run here of, of Austin. Yeah. Um, then they go to Mexico. They go down to Brazil, then they come back up to Vegas. It, some of those tracks, like the, the Vegas one, I've been seeing things about how physically punishing it is because it's obviously a bit like Monaco. It's this street circuit, yeah. um, how punishing that is. 
the Austin one, I think is partially on one of the uh, NASCAR tracks, isn't it? Or the IndyCar track, I think it is. So that's kind of quite windy and not a traditional F1 track. So that's quite punishing on their body as well. Um, and of course, it's going to be hot. So I, th- I think from Italy, Monza in September, which will probably be hot as well. Yeah. But from that point on, they go to Azerbaijan, hot. Singapore, probably hot. Austin is going to be hot. Mexico, hot. Brazil, hot. Vegas, yeah. hot. Qatar, Abu Dhabi. So from Italy in September, right the way through to December, they're all going to be in really hot countries. Um, how do you think that's going to affect well, probably the drives and probably the tyres as well, isn't it? If it's going to be track temperatures in the 40s. I think it's very, like, it's very physically punishing for the drivers. It's, hmm. I mean, I know, like, even being stuck in just a normal car in, like, 19, 20 degree heat is horrendous. Hmm. Never mind going 280 mile an hour in 30, 40 degree heat is and having to push, like, the whole time. It's just... It would be so physically punishing for the drivers. And I think that run of races, especially, it's just crazy. Mm. That eight races in a row of just intense heat. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very hard for them to... I think you'll probably find some people struggle performance-wise and kind of physically. Especially, I think some of the guys are quite um, short and slender anyway, aren't they? Yeah. So they'll probably take a bit less punishment or be able to take a little bit less punishment than some of the the kind of more seasoned guys. I think it's going to be very difficult. And tyres as well, I think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing quite a bit of degradation in the hotter. Um, so Barcelona, Spain and stuff that was hot. I think there was quite a bit of degradation there. And then, as you said, there's kind of a whole run of Grand Prix there that they're going to really struggle in the tires i think so i think you probably end up having more two-stop strategies as you go through those races and more almost sprints yeah um, as opposed to just one stop kind of sit there so yeah that might bring a bit more entertainment and interest to to proceedings absolutely switch up the positions a little bit and see how it's always good to have that jeopardy of of having to have several pit stops and stuff. How do you position yourself? That's where all the tactics come into it. And, uh, you know, Mercedes always seem to be really good at that. Red Bull really good at that. As you said before, Ferrari don't seem to be that great at it. So it's an opportunity there for people to move around. So, yeah, I think that'd be really good. It would just be the time difference as well. We won't be able to see many of them until late in the evening. Maybe a good thing if, if you start getting people out to kind of pubs and, and watching the F1 while there. So Yeah. But then I guess it's on a Saturday this year. And for next year as well, it'll be on a Saturday. And that's also the same with Bahrain and Saudi Arabia for the first two races. They'll be raced on a Saturday. What What's the reasoning behind moving to Saturday? So I'm not sure why Vegas was put as a Saturday race. I think it's just sort of atmosphere and TV. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But um, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia have been moved to the Saturday to accommodate for Ramadan. Uh, okay. So that's just... It's more sort of like people friendly. It's like people from everywhere can just watch it and everything. I think mm. it's a nice touch from them to give everybody that opportunity. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so they'll they'll qualify on the Friday, and they'll what free practice Thursday and Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, Thursday mm. practice one and two. Friday practice three and qualify, and Saturday race. Sure, because they they roll off of. They roll off a of Bahrain on the second, don't they? Yeah. 
and then they're in Saudi, ready for the seventh. So they've got to get well. I suppose they're in the same vicinity, aren't they? Bahrain, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Which is the kind of short trip all they kit across to set up. Perfect. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sportizzle podcast, brought to you by Sportizzle.com, the free to register sports social community platform. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Also, check out our social media channels and the sportizzle.com platform for news of what your favourite communities are up to. And we'll bring you more episodes of the podcast soon. Bye for now. Sports